welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Let me just, at the forefront of this whole message, let me just make this statement. Communion, like baptism, is not a symbol. It's not a symbolic act. I want to get that out of your mindset because when you think symbolic act, you think simply I'm just doing something to represent something. It's way more than that. It's an experience. An experience with God is more than a symbol. I want to get that out on the table right away. Communion is not something to be considered as just this symbolic act that taken lightly. In fact, Paul because he understood the weight and the importance of what we call the Lord's Supper in Scripture, he brought some major correction to some major error because people were not valuing it like they should. And because they were not valuing it like they should, they were not getting out of it what they were supposed to get out of it. And so as a result, there were people that were weak and dying because they were not drawing from the deposit or withdrawing drawing from the deposit of the value of what communion really is. So Paul was bringing order in some correction. There was fighting going on, competing going on, people rushing it, people just not respecting it like they could. Now let me just backtrack even more from the book of 1 Corinthians into the book of Acts. If you read Acts chapter 2, when the church was first birthed, okay, it was birthed as 3,000 people. You know, imagine being a mom and birthing 3,000 people. Well, that's what the church did in one day. 3,000 people had an encounter with Jesus when the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 2. And then we read on through Acts chapter 4 and 5, and we see the um, the advancing of the church. It went from 3,000 to 5,000, and it kept on growing. But one of the attributes that we read about between Acts chapter 2 and even Acts chapter 5 is the consistency of the act and experience of communion in the everyday life of believers. Let me just say that again. In the everyday life of believers, it wasn't once a week, once a month. It wasn't once, you know, a week when the priest or the pastor, you know, blesses the communion and gives it to you, drops it in your mouth. No, it was not like that. It was an everyday thing. You hear what I'm saying? An everyday thing for the average believer, not for the elite, blessing some, you know, element and giving it to you and distributing it to you. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not what it was like when God first established and instituted and actually hoped for before he died when he had what we call the Last Supper. Okay, Jesus instituted this this experience that was to take place consistently after he was gone. 
the church did it and carried it on consistently after it was gone. But then over time, what began to happen, it became more of a religious symbol and more of a religious like sort of thing we do in the routine of our everyday spiritual life that then it became like, okay, we're not, we're not allowed to do it without like the right context. You get what I'm saying? Like, a, you know, a pastor's got to be involved or something. No, you, it should be something that is happening consistently in your family, in your everyday, as a normal part of your life culture. Okay, now for some of you, that right there is already over your head. You're like, really? I didn't know that. I thought I had to be super spiritual to do this. No, you just have to know who Jesus is and understand that he's in your life and be in relationship with him to understand the value of what it will do for your life. Let me, I'll read, let me read the scripture for you in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. Okay, Paul is writing, he's bringing correction. And he says this in verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Everyone say thanks. You're welcome. He, on the night he was betrayed, like, isn't that, I love that. Whenever I talk on this, I just, I just want to stay there for a second. On the night he was betrayed, he had an ability to give thanks for something. Most of us, we're like, we've been betrayed. We're like, we're not being positive at all in anything. We're not even thinking thankful thoughts. We're thinking revengeful thoughts. I've been betrayed. We're thinking painful thoughts. We're thinking not God thoughts, but our thoughts. You get what I'm saying? But on the night he was betrayed by his, one of his closest friends for a bunch of money, for 30 pieces of silver, this guy named Judas betrays his friend Jesus, really is the cause of why Jesus gets onto the cross. It was all part of the plan. But his friend betrays him, not only betrays him, but betrays him also with a kiss. So he even acts continually, continually like he's all about Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus greets Judas in the garden on the night he was betrayed and even addresses Judas by saying, friend. Imagine that, eh? We're so mature that we can call the betrayer that is about to betray us a friend even though they're about to betray us. Just shows you the character of, of, of Jesus. You know, shows us the character that we are to emulate in our lives, man. The, you, some of us, every one of us has been betrayed by somebody, right? If you haven't, you've, you live in a cave. You, live, you don't have, a, you have no relationship. You have, you've never been, been around people. If you've been around people, I can guarantee you at some level you've been betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, he's like, thank God. It's all part of his plan. You know what? Some of your betrayals are the greatest asset or greatest aspect to your destiny. You don't even know it. Some of the greatest betrayals, let me say it again, in your life are some of the greatest aspects and elements that are going to contribute to you fulfilling your destiny in life and your purpose in life. Without those betrayals, you would not be able to handle what God wants to give you. The betrayals give you some spiritual you-know-what in life. Some of you are thinking, well, what is that? Well, I'll let you just make it up in your mind. Should I say it again? Is anybody here? Is it the long weekend, Harley? I don't know. Uh, Don, are you here? What's going on? Where are my Nigerian, like, responders here? Come on. Listen, some of your betrayals have been designed to give you the boldness that you need to reach and grab a hold of your future. 
John 6, I mean, Jesus addressed his, it set me free once. I read this, it set me free from some stuff I was going through. I read this and I meditated on it for like days and days and if not weeks and it set me free. In John 6, you could read some, there's an amazing story in John 6. And, and the disciples hear Jesus actually kind of reference what I'm about to reference here in a second. Jesus says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. In other words, unless you're all in with me, you're all in. He's not talking about cannibalism. Unless you're all in with me and I'm all in with you, really you have no part with me. And there was a whole bunch of people that he'd been mentoring at the time that were like, whoa, that's a hard saying. I'm offended. What, you, what is he talking about? Like, it's just too much for me. And they left him. says they walked away. Then Jesus turns to his 12 and says, hey, they walked away. I know this is a little bit of an intense thing I just said. It offended you. You know what the word offense, what, you, know what a, you know what an offense is? It's a stumbling block put in front of you to trip you up. You can either move around it and move over it or let it trap you and trick you into a place of destroying you. Or you can actually move through it and get better because of it. So Matthew eleven six, Jesus says to John's disciple, he says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. In other words, the word is you are elongated in your life in influence and you, you receive what God wants to give you when you overcome or move through and around offenses in life. Sometimes offenses look like betrayal. So Jesus in John 6, he's, he, 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 he's offended a whole bunch of his crew that he's discipling. They all leave. He looks at his 12, his more inner, his inner circle of 12 and says, hey, they left. Uh, I know this is a hard saying, guys. Are you going to leave too? And then he says this statement. He says, did I not choose the 12 of you? That's what he says. Did I not choose the 12 of you and yet one of you is a devil? That's what he said. What he was saying is, and yet one of you is going to betray me. I already know who it's going to be. I, and I chose my betrayer. Listen, he, Jesus chose his own betrayer. It was a part of his destiny and purpose. You have some chosen betrayers in your life, whether they know it or not, that are a part of your future. And you need to thank them for it. You know what Joseph did to his brothers who betrayed him and threw him into a pit? He threw, Joseph had a whole, bunch, a whole bunch of brothers that betrayed him, okay? Threw him into a pit, ripped up his favorite winter coat, sold him to, into slavery, and then lied to the father and said he, he must be dead. Tricked the father into believing that there his, his, his son was dead. And at that time, his, like, his, his, his youngest was dead. The, the dad was devastated. Joseph's dad was devastated. Jacob was devastated. You hear what I'm saying? Joseph was sold into slavery. Years went by. Years went by. His brothers... When they came back and realized that Joseph actually wasn't dead, because they, they knew he wasn't dead, but they didn't know for sure. But G, when Joseph saw his brothers years and years later, and now was like second in command over all of Egypt, he went from nothing, ripped up coat, abandoned, rejected, betrayed by his very own family, you guys. And yet when he saw his brothers over 27 years later, they didn't even recognize him, but he recognized them. He wept. 
he wept, you guys. He saw them with forgiveness in his heart and said to them, you didn't send me or sell me into slavery. God sent me here to save you and preserve your lives. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing right now. You can read about it. It's crazy. The betrayal of his brothers actually is what set him up for his destiny. And he thanked them for it. Thank you for your betrayal. High five, props, fist bump, thumbs up, you know, whatever you guys do, like, uh, like whatever you do. He did that to his brothers, said, thank you guys. Hey, listen, you think it was your betrayal? No, it was God's setup. What you thought was a setback was God's setup for me. I would not be in command over all of Egypt, fulfilling my purpose in life if it wasn't for your betrayal. So thank you for your betrayal. You can betray me all you want, my own family, and it was all a part of God's purpose in my life. You guys, betrayal is one of the, the best things that can happen to you and the worst things that can happen to you. I just feel to stay on this for a second because this, I wasn't even going to go here. But I feel like to stay here just for a moment because we need to realize that the opposition, the offense, the challenges, and the trials in life are a part of shaping us and girding us, guiding us towards our destiny. They're not there to our detriment. They're there to our advantage. They're only there to our detriment when we lean into them and focus on them and not on the higher element that's going on that God is going to use with them in our life. Look to your neighbor and say, bring on the betrayal. Not that you want to invite it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, let me just tell you, there's always a big but in church. But, But God will use it. God will use it if you're healthy and mature enough to see through it. God will use it. Joseph's like, thank you guys. You set me up to fulfill my destiny. You thought you were coming against me and squashing my destiny. Your betrayal set me up for my destiny. Hey, Judas, thank you, Judas. I chose you. You were one of my friends. But this was part of the plan. Thank you. You set it up. We should be looking at Judas. Thank you, Judas. If it wasn't for Judas, he was part of the plan. He set it up so Jesus went to the cross, died for all of us, set us free. Judas, wherever you are, thank you. You get what, you get what I'm saying here. The more thankful you are for even the stuff that you don't like in life, the more you invite God's favor into your life. Let me say it again. The more thankful for you that you are towards the things that you hate in life sometimes, the more that you invite God's favor into your life to set you up to fulfill the things that God's called you to fulfill in life. Now let me just bring it all back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks. I just painted that verse to you in a whole different light. Jesus is thanking God on the night he was betrayed. That word thanks, everyone say it, say thanks, is the word in the Greek, eucharistio. Everyone say eucharistio. It can be said like eucharistia or eucharistio. Let me just give you a working definition for eucharistio. It actually means the good and well-meaning favor of God in a situation or over a person. 
the good and well-meaning favor of God, which is why we call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. Really, the Lord's Supper in and of itself is not the Eucharist. The, Eucharist, the reason why it's called the Eucharist is from this word Eucharistio. We find in a verse before the Lord's Supper is even taken, and it's in the thanksgiving component of the Lord's Supper. We give thanks for what we're about to do, we give thanks for the supper we're about to partake in. We give thanks for the broken body and the blood that was poured out on the cross over 2,000 years ago and how that connects to our life presently. We give thanks to God, and in the thanks of God, we're acknowledging the good and well-meaning favor of God, even though life sucks right now, even though life is hard right now. When I'm thankful when it's hard, I invite the favor of God. You know why we would give where it started giving thanks before a meal? Well, out of respect for the one who provided the meal, right? But when you give thanks to God, you're not saying, I, I, I really have a hard time when people pray stuff like, God be with us. It's, he's always with you. He's omnipresent. The word omni, he means he's fully engaged all the time, everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's always with you. It's whether or not you're aware of it or not. Your prayer should be, God, help me to be aware that you're with us because you're always with us. That's the, that's the revelation you need to come into is the awareness of him always with you. Don't pray prayers like be with me. He is with you. God's like, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you, sis, all the time. Just be aware. Turn the light on inside of you and you'll see me. Okay? So when we give thanks, though, before a meal, the reason why we give thanks is because we invite the favor of God into the meal, especially if the meal's poisoned. No, I'm being serious. This is part of the reason why we would do this. This is why, why they would do it back then in that culture. Culturally, they believed that when they thanked God, like what they did at the Lord's Supper, it would change the inner essence of the food. So if anything was going on in the food, the, the, the bacteria, whatever, I mean, it would change. Even though they wouldn't see it from the natural eye, the inner essence would change. And that's where we get, we get in Roman Catholic theology the word transubstantiation. Everyone say that where it's it, it, not the outward elements change. The outward elements do not change, but the inner essence of those elements change. Okay, let me just paint a picture for you. 2 Corinthians 5 says that you're a, what, a new creation. If you've let Jesus into your life, you're a new creation. Okay, if you've let Jesus into your life, physically speaking, I may not know that you are a new creation. I don't see it on the outside. But on the inside, you're a new person. You've just been transubstantiated. You, the, the, the inner you is no longer the you that you knew. The new you is on the inside. But you still look the same, Michael, on the outside. I mean, you gave your life to Jesus. You, you're all in. He's all in with you. But you look the same. You're still wearing the same glasses. you got the same shirt. you got the same beard. You have the same uniform. You have the same watch. But on the inside, you're brand new. So when Jesus said thanks for the Lord's Supper in this context and broke the bread and said thanks for the, 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 the blood, what happened was the inner essence changed. That's why it moves from just a symbolic act to an experience. Because something supernatural has changed and been initiated. You're like, well, what else is this? I can show you all throughout Scripture where this exists. Not only just in the gospel and who you are, you're a new creation on the inside. It's an outward sign of an invisible reality. That's really what, what uh, a sacrament really is. If, you, if you've been in the Catholic Church and you hear like the sacraments and there's like seven holy sacraments. Well, one of them was communion and baptism, but really it's an outward sign. The definition of a sacrament is an outward sign of an, inv of an invisible reality. Something is going on on the inside.
Acts chapter 19, you can go there, verses 11 and 12, Peter, or pa Paul, just touched some handkerchiefs and aprons, and then those things were brought to people who were demonized, that had like a bunch of demons, that had disease, that were sick, and they were healed. I don't know, is it up there? God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had really touched the skin were placed on the sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. How did that happen? Did the handkerchief do it? No. The inner essence of the handkerchief did it. What does that mean? Well, something happened to the handkerchief. You get what I'm saying? Something happened on the inside. He touched it. He gave thanks for it. Thank you, God, that everything that's mine is blessed. Thank you that, that everything that I touch is blessed. Why? Because God is in me. Think about it. If God is, if the creator of blessing himself dwells within you, guess what? What you touch has the power to be blessed and changed. So here are these handkerchiefs and aprons. The outside looks the same, but the inner essence has changed. Could that be transubstantiation? Absolutely. Everything looks the same on the outside, but the inside's changed. What about in Deuteronomy, and I don't have the scripture for it, but when they, were, when they were walking for 40 years in the wilderness, it actually says that their sandals did not wear out. How does that make any sense? 40 years. Like, imagine that, a 40-year warranty on reefs. Like, like, 40 years, Birkenstock warranty. Like, they're not going to wear out 40 years. Imagine the same underwear, 40 years, didn't wear out, looked brand new every day. Socks, everything, brand new every day. That's called a miracle. The inner essence, something about the inner essence of the cotton, <laughs> of the leather, I don't know. It just, it was supernatural. It outlasted the average person. 40 years. It lasted. So Jesus, he, he, he says thanks, and he, when he says thanks, he invites a realm, a realm, okay? Everyone say realm. A realm of heaven into the moment. He invites a realm of heaven into the moment by giving thanks. He invites the good and well-meaning favor of God. He invites the good and well-meaning favor of God. He invites, I want you to think about this for a second. Every time you say thank you, you are opening yourself up to the good and well-meaning favor of God in your life. When you say thank you in the midst of dark times, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of when you don't have enough, when you don't have enough money to pay your bills, and you still say thank you, it's a sign of a renewed mind, and it's a statement of faith that says, I believe despite what I see. I walk by Faith, not by what? Sight. So I don't see it, but I'm thankful that I have it and that I have what I need by faith. You're called to walk in darkness. That's what faith looks like, walking around in darkness. You can't see, but you walk. Faith is not faith when you see everything going on. Faith is only turned on and activated when you don't see what's going on, but you still walk forward and move forward. You don't even need to be a believer in Jesus to understand this. If you move forward into a situation, step out into a situation that's scary to you, chances are you're moving in some level of faith. It may not be a God-inspired faith, but it's some level of faith. You're stepping out into an area you don't know, aren't familiar with, you're uncomfortable with, you feel like it's dark, you don't know what's going to happen, you might sink, you might swim, you might drown, who knows, but I'm stepping out anyways. So Jesus, he gave thanks, he blessed it, he said, he said this, he said, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And I'm going to dive into what that means in just a few moments, but I want to paint a little bit of a broader picture for you about the power of thanksgiving. Psalms 100 verse 4. Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, we enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Beyond the gate, beyond a door in life that we're trying to go through or access or unlock is something that you're looking for. Prayer, I was saying this morning to our team in our 855 Supernatural Leadership Training, which all of you encourage you to show up. It's going to be, be really beneficial for your life. But prayer is like being at the door and wiggling the handle, using a key to unlock the door or unlock a gate or try to push the gate or pull the gate open. Prayer is like standing at a gate or a door trying to access the other side. Whatever it is that's on the other side is what you're trying to access through prayer. You're believing for finances, believing for a new job, believing for a marriage, to meet your spouse, believing for a child, believing for some sort of breakthrough in your body, believing for and hoping for safety for a situation or whatever it is. It's like standing at the door and saying, whatever I need is on the other side of the door and I can see it through the window of the door. I can see it through the holes in the gate. I know it's mine and so I'm going to do whatever I can to get to it. But I got to open this gate first. I got to access. I got to open the door. That's what prayer looks like. Thanksgiving is the access point for you to open that door. It says we enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. You know what the word is for accessing or entering his gates in that scripture? The word is acting as your own gatekeeper. Do you know you have the access key in your hand right now already? But all, all you need to do is shift your heart from an attitude to gratitude. Did you hear what I said? Some of us have an attitude towards why things aren't working out the way that we want them to work out. Right? We're entitled, especially the millennial generation. We're entitled. We think we deserve the world. We're wondering why things aren't working out the way that they should work out. God's like, hey, just invite me into your attitude and put a GR in front of it and you'll have some gratitude. Put a little grr in front of your attitude and you'll have a gratitude. Just made that up on the spot. And, 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 and when you have gratitude, you're given the key now and you act as your own gatekeeper. You can open and close the door, whatever you want. Because Thanksgiving, what does it do? It invites the good and well-meaning favor of God into a situation. Right, Don? It invites the good and well-meaning favor of God. So you don't have it right now. You don't feel like you're accessing the favor of God right now. You can't open the door. You can't open the gate. But when you thank God, thank God, thank you, God, that I can't open this gate. Thank God that I'm standing at the gate. I can see what's mine, but I can't access. Thank you, God, that even in this moment, you are with me. And even what's beyond the gate that's mine, that I don't know when I'm ever going to access, is mine. Thank you, God, that I'm going to have it. I don't know when I'm going to have it, but I'm going to have it. Thank you, God. When I start doing that, I start changing the game and the equation. I start changing the atmosphere of my heart. I start changing the, the what is going to happen. Because right now, what was going to happen is I was going to stand here forever with an but now I've had the gird of my attitude and I have gratitude and all of a sudden now I can open and close the gate at will. You hear what I'm saying? Now the reality of it is when you open the gate, your blessing, your breakthrough, whatever it is that you're looking for, it may be a little bit of a walk down the road still, but at least now you know, oh, it's going down. It's going down, but I had to get through the gate first. 
The gate was the first step. The first step is having a thankful attitude. The first step to change the inner essence of your situation is have a good attitude. Are you with me this morning? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, let me just paint another picture for you. In Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, there were 10 lepers. Leprosy was a, an extreme skin condition of that time. They, they were considered the unclean of society. No one to hang around them. The, people would scream, unclean. They would even scream, unclean, so no one would, people would know they're coming. And they wouldn't touch them because it was contagious. So here we have these 10 lepers. And Jesus, he cleanses their skin condition, okay? Now, you got to understand that in this time frame, leprosy would actually be so bad that you would lose parts of your limbs. Fingers would fall off and parts of your nose would fall off, ears would fall off, melt off your body, literally. Would like melt off your body. And so in this time, even when a leper would be cleansed, it doesn't mean they were made whole or they grew back limbs, grew back fingers. They didn't grow back. It didn't happen. They might be cleansed, healed, but they're still like dismembered in their body. So here we have 10 lepers. Jesus cleanses them and says, as you go, it actually says in Luke chapter 17, as they went, because they used to have to go to the priest to show themselves, to be affirmed, to have the document signed, yes, you are cleansed. So it was a three-day journey. So Jesus cleanses 10 lepers, says, you have been cleansed, you have been healed, now go show yourself to the priest. It says, as they went, they were healed. So the statement was made, you're cleansed now, you got to go, you got you to you engage the process. And as they went, they were healed. Three days, okay? They got to the, the priest. The priest signed off on it. Yeah, you're healed. All good to go. Only one, it says, came back to thank Jesus. Out of ten. You'd think all ten of them would be like, man, like, I've been living in this state, in this condition for however, how many years, and you've just healed me, and, I, and I'm not even going to go back three days. A little bit of an inconvenient journey, but sometimes, let me just tell you, the most inconvenient things in life bring the biggest blessings in your life. Without inconvenience, you have no blessing. Inconvenience and sacrifice live in bed together. They sleep together every night. Inconvenience and sacrifice, they're both inconvenient. They're both a part of the process to every good thing in life on the other side. Only one out of ten came back. Came back three and a half days, found Jesus, stood and, and literally went prostrate, fell on his knees, and literally thanked God. It says he thanked God for cleansing him of his leprosy. You know what that word was? Eucharistio. He Eucharistioed Jesus in that moment. He invited. He'd think, hey man, this guy's got the favor already. He's got everything he needs. He's been cleansed of his skin disease. He, but he goes a step further and he Eucharistios Jesus, invites the good and well-meaning favor of God again into his situation in gratitude. And what does Jesus say to him in Luke chapter 17? You can read it between verses 16 and 18. He looks at the, the, the guy who was cleansed and says, now you've been made whole. What that word is? It's body, soul, spirit, wholeness. That means in that moment, the one out of the ten, because of thanksgiving, because he Eucharistio Jesus, not only did he grow back his limbs, his spirit man was made brand new. Everything in him was whole again. They just had an outward manifestation of healing. This guy had an inward and outward manifestation of healing called wholeness. The full combo. The popcorn, the Coke, and the M&Ms at the movie theater. The combo package. Some of you only had the M&Ms. This guy had the whole thing. 
So he enjoyed the movie a lot more than anybody else did in that moment, the movie of his future that now he could fulfill because he was whole, the other nine could never fulfill because they were not. Because of one moment of thanksgiving. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he Eucharistioed God in that moment, even though he was about to go to the cross, it initiated something, the element, something happened on the inside that he said, if you do this over and over again, and you experience me over and over again in this way, it will transform your life. It will heal your life. It will change the game of your life. Are you with me? Can I just paint one last part of the, 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 the picture for you before we go on? Mark chapter 8. Mark 6, but Mark chapter 8 is the story of the, the 4,000 being healed. Remember the story? Jesus did not have enough loaves, enough fishes. He has thousands of people. That was just the men they counted in that time. Could have been up to 20,000 people or more. Here he is, Jesus with no microphone, a few disciples that don't have a lot of faith. They have a little bit of bread and a little bit of fishes. And these guys are hungry. These people are hungry. These families, these kids are hungry. And all they have is a little bit. What does he do? What does he do? He doesn't look at the bread and say, shoot, man, we're like, we're in trouble. Like, we're, we're like, man, we got to go in and... We, I don't even know if McDonald's can handle the amount of Big Macs they need to make. Like, he wasn't thinking like that. He was looking at what he had and said, you know what? I'm just going to give thanks for what I have. I'm going to give thanks for the lack. I'm going to give thanks for what I don't have. Because when I do that, I'm going to access what I know I already have, but don't see that I have by faith. So when I give thanks, something's going to change on the inside of those loaves. And that one loaf is going to turn into hundreds and thousands of loaves. Did you hear what I just said? So Jesus takes the bread, looks up to heaven and says, Eucharistio! That's what he says. Eucharistio! Thank you! I'm inviting your favor. I'm inviting a transubstantiation moment to take place where although it's only one loaf, now through Thanksgiving, there's thousands of loaves. So when I break it open and multiply it and distribute it, it's more than enough for everybody who's hungry. It was a supernatural transfusion in that moment into the natural elements of the bread and the fish. Isn't that amazing? He said, Eucharistio changes the, you should look at your wallet right now. Look at your wallet, take your wallet out. It's a Eucharistio. Thank you, God, that I have more than enough. Some of your wallets are on your phone. Thank you, God, that I have more than enough. That inside this wallet, there might be $10, but there's 10 seeds that can produce thousands of seeds. Look how many people I just offended in the room. No, this is our team. They're getting ready for communion. I'm just joking. In this one seed are thousands of seeds that come from one tree that produce thousands of more trees that produce thousands and tens of thousands of more fruit in our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this one moment. So when we take communion today, we're not just doing a symbolic act. We're having an experience. Because he says this, he says, he thanks God, and he looks at the bread, and then he, what does he do next? He breaks the bread, kind of like what he did when he distributed it. Oh, another cool thing is, if you, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but in Luke 24, remember last week, Eduardo shared about the road to Emmaus? When they got to the end of Emmaus, the end of the road, 
When they got to the end of the road, they sat down with Jesus, who they did not recognize as Jesus. And it says, they broke bread, and then they recognized him. You know what happens when you're thankful? Your eyes are opened. Did you hear what I just said? It says in Luke 24, I'm not sure what verse it is, I don't know if you have it on there. In Luke 24, when they got to the end of the experience, okay, these guys who were doubting, who were on the road with Jesus, talking to Jesus, they get to the end of the experience, and it says they broke bread, and it says then their eyes were opened, and they recognized that it was Jesus all along. When you do, when you take communion, it's not just an act, it's an experience to open up your eyes to the one who's going to set you free, who already has set you free, and is going to heal you, and who already has healed you. It has the power to open up your eyes. He says this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. That, that word actually, that word actually means to bring me back to the forefront of your focus. Because I've been in the trunk of your life, or I've been in the back seat way too long. So you should do this every day as much as possible because when you do this, it puts me back into the front seat of your vehicle. Because some of us, you know, we're, 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 we're good, man. Like, we're our own God. Like, we've, look what we've accomplished, man. Like, look what I've built for myself. Look at how hard I've worked. When we start to gloat like that, we put him in the trunk. Yeah, I believe in God. I mean, he's with me, but he's not really, like, with me. He's not really helping me navigate where I'm going. I'm kind of navigating. I'm just bringing him along for the ride. Well, hey, listen, Jesus can't be in the trunk for very long. So we take communion and have this experience with him to bring him back into the front seat of our lives. It literally means to bring, to remember, is to bring back into the forefront of your focus, put him front and center. Because some of us, because of money, because of relationships because of stupid decisions that we've made in life have thrown him into the back seat and say, yeah, you're good, Jesus, but I don't want you navigating with me in the front seat. I don't want you telling me where I'm going. I'll tell you where you should go with me. That's not how it works. God will let it work for a while until you crash the vehicle and then realize, oh my gosh, okay, you should have been in the front seat. I went the wrong way. I, now I get it. How many have ever experienced that before? I know we all have. We realize we went the wrong way. Well, communion keeps him in the front seat as the navigator. That's really good. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. Remember to remember to bring him back into the front seat to navigate with us. So when we pray, do, can we get some for the, the platform team? We, we always get forgotten. We're like the, the forgotten ones on the stage. Oh, you haven't passed it out yet. Okay, pass it out. Yeah, go pass it out. I thought it was already passed out. I'm, I apologize. <clears throat> what we're going we're gonna to believe in just a few moments, in the next eight minutes, we're going to believe that God is going to transform you from the inside out in a real tangible way. We're going to believe that healing is going to happen in your body because his body was broken so your body could be made whole again. You know that? His body was torn apart so your body could be put back together again. His blood was spilled out to set you free to establish a new covenant with you that makes the statement that you are free, that you're no longer a slave to the sin that robbed you in life. When we do this, it's an experience to bring him back to the forefront of our focus to align our spirit, our soul, and our body with his plan for our life. So healing is yours. Victory is yours over your addictions. Victory is yours over the trials and the things that you're up against right now. Victory is your portion this morning.
I can't say it enough. Victory is your portion this morning. I don't want you to take it yet. I, I want to take it as a, a, as, a, as a house this morning together. So please don't take it yet. If you already have, it's all good. But don't take it. We're going to pray. We're going to release some stuff in prayer and believe for some movement, some major movement in your lives, in your families, in your job, in your career, in your finances, in your households, on your street, and whatever it is that you put your hands to in this season, we're just going to believe together that as we experience Jesus in the communion, as we commune with Jesus in the communion, some powerful things are going to pop open in your life in this next season in the name of Jesus.